you have your Bibles, open them up to Acts chapter 23. Uh, if you don't have an outline, there's one right out those middle doors there. The ministry counter, grab one. Uh, we're going to continue on our series, Unstoppable. We're getting close to the end. You only have a few more messages of this. But sometimes during the week when I'm here at Crossroads and I finish my day, I'll go home and, I, and I'll ask Sheila how her day went. And she'll ask me how my day went. And, you know, you probably do the same. But let me just say, I, I love our church, but sometimes when Sheila asks me how our, my day went, and I'll say, not so good. Not so good. It didn't go so good today. By that, I mean my objectives didn't get accomplished. I didn't finish the agenda that I had for that day. It didn't accomplish something I needed to accomplish. And, and I'll say, not so good. It just didn't go not so good. And I thought about that for the Apostle Paul in his, in his life and in his situation. As far as we know, he didn't have a wife. or He certainly there, was there alone in prison all by himself. And every night we'd have to say, this hasn't been the best day. I've been able to serve Jesus, but there could be better circumstances. Wouldn't you think? There could be much better circumstances to live in. And I thought about that. And as we look at this passage this morning in Acts chapter 23, I thought of the fact that God is in control. Amen? Whether things are good or not so good, God is in control. Whether things are going, the days are excellent, or the days are filled with challenges that go unmet, God is in control. And in this passage, we find three truths that really help reinforce that point that God is in control in our life, to help us really understand it. And some of the songs are helping us to really realize that. We found the apostle Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem. He's warned, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Jerusalem. Agabus in Acts chapter 21 prophesied, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, they're going to bind you, they're going to abuse you, and they're going to turn you over to the Gentiles. And that's exactly what happened. And Paul knew that was going to happen. He knew what was going to happen to him. And yet he wasn't prepared to go in any other direction in the will that God had for him, right? That was to go to Jerusalem. Ultimately, Paul wanted to go to Rome, and he wanted to preach the gospel at Rome. But along the way, as he's go going, there's going to be struggles. There's going to be warnings. And he's doing the will of God. Remember, along the way, as you and I are doing the will of God, there's going to be struggles. There's going to be warnings that come into our life. And finally, Paul gets to Jerusalem, and he has this wonderful opportunity. He's got a crowd there to finally kind of share his story, what God has done in his life. And everything's going really well until he gets to that one point in the story in Acts chapter 22, verse 21. He says, God has called me to minister to the who? Cloud who? Gentiles. And when he says Gentiles, when he says that word, the crowd broke into a mob and they wanted to kill Paul. They wanted to rip him to pieces. They were so upset with him. So the Roman commander who is there, who was the ruler of a thousand troops in Jerusalem, rushes in, rescues Paul out of there, takes him back to the barracks for the purpose of flogging him, severely beating him, and interrogating him, and find out, why do these people hate you so much? But Paul reminds him and says, I don't think you know, but you know I'm a Roman citizen. And you can't flog me, you can't beat me as a Roman citizen until I'm found guilty. And the commander says, I didn't know you were a Roman citizen. So they come to plan B. Plan B was we're going to bring you in front of the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin. It's called the Great Sanhedrin. It's filled with uh, mostly Sadducees, Pharisees, and some other groups there. And so Paul went there and he shared with them. And what he shared with them divided the group. And that's exactly what he wanted to do. That got them to argue amongst themselves is what Paul did right here. And that brings us to where we are right now in Acts chapter 23, verse 11. Three truths, if you have your outline, let me give you the first one, which is really a reminder from last week of this verse is, and it's God promises give us assurance, hope, and courage. God's promises give us assurance, hope, and courage. 
I'm the Apostle Paul, and I'm sitting there in those barracks in that prison, and I'm wondering, I've escaped death on my missionary journeys more than once, right? There's more than once that Paul was almost killed on those missionary journeys. And people wanted to kill me right here in Jerusalem. They, they want to take my life. And I don't know if I'm going to make it to Rome. I don't know if I'm going to make it there. I, I wonder if this is it, if I'm done, if this is it. This is as far as my trip goes, and they're going to have taken my life. You remember the scripture verse that said it's not over to the overweight. That's not a scripture verse, right? That's not a script, but there is a scripture verse, and it's not really a scripture verse, but it could be one. It's not over till God says that it's over, right? It's not over till God says it's over. The next day, next night, after he addressed the Sanhedrin, Paul is there, and the Bible says that Jesus stood by Paul, and he says these words in Acts chapter 23, verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify of me in Rome. In other words, God was saying to Paul, Paul, it's not over because I'm not finished with you yet. Think about that. Paul, it's not over because I'm not finished with you yet. You, you're going to make it to Rome. You're going to get the opportunity to testify about me in Rome. And that did give Paul tremendous assurance, hope, and as well as courage in his life to understand those truths, what God was saying to him. I'm going to make it. And nothing can stop me from going to Rome because God says I'm going to Rome and therefore God says it's going to happen. It had to be so exciting for the Apostle Paul to learn that, to understand it, right? When I look at God and look at his attributes and I come to understand his love, his peace, and his truth, his mercy, his tenderness, his, his compassion, his patience, all these attributes are what many people often call the communicable attributes of God. The communicable attributes of God. And all these are flushed out to his children, to us who are believers in Jesus Christ, in form of promises that God gives us. And we have these promises from God, hundreds of promises from the Word of God that we have from God that he gives to us, where he says, I will be who I am to you. You can count on that. I'm going to be who I am. And he says he's faithful to do it, to all those things that he promises from the Word of God that he gives us. So we can grab those promises and we can claim those promises. Those promises are legitimately from Scripture. We can claim those promises, and it gives us assurance, hope, and courage, right? As we live in the darkest of days, it gives us those. As we're on mission for Jesus, as we're on this journey for Jesus. And that's the first principle in this truth. The first one is God's promises give us assurance, hope, and courage. The second truth is found in the next few verses, and it's God's power is greater than those who oppose us. God's power is greater than those who oppose us. Do you believe that? You believe, praise, praise God you believe that, that God's power is greater than those who oppose us. Here's what's going to happen. Notice the plot they have against the Apostle Paul, verses 12 through 15. The next morning, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petitioned the commander to bring it before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. We notice four things here really about the opposition is what, what we find here. And the first thing that we notice about the opposition is we see the opposition is committed. There were 40 people, presumably 40 men. And they made this vow. They were not going to eat or, any, eat or drink or anything until Paul is dead. He's got to be dead. That's what they said. They had to fulfill this vow according to the Jewish law. They made a vow. They had to fulfill it. 
And there's only one clause in the Jewish writings that could get him out of that clause. There was some, some unforeseen circumstances that would take place. And you will find in this story, there's one thing that would qualify for that, and that's it, if they starved themselves to death. We don't know if they did that, but we do know they were committed. They were highly committed. And by the way, there are people around the world that have that same commitment today, don't they? that are willing to strap bombs around their waist or their backs and go into cafes and marketplaces and to blow themselves up and, and hurt themselves and hurt others, right? Highly commit, high, high, high commitment. The second thing we notice, these people were willing to take a risk. They were willing to take a risk. If they murdered a Roman citizen and if they were caught, they would face execution themselves. And they, were really, they were really committed to their cause and willing to take that risk to lose their own lives for their cause. Now, we don't admire people for that. We, we don't admire. Let me ask you, why is it those who embrace terror oftentimes have more commitment and willing to take more risk for their cause than we who embrace truth? Why is that? We live so safe. Those, who embrace tr those of us who embrace truth have a cause that's worth dying for, don't we? We have the truth. The truth that is declared from God's Word that God gives us each and every day. We should have the deepest commitment not to die, not to hate, but to love. To love. That's what we're called to do, to love people. Our motivation is just the opposite of theirs. They hated the Apostle Paul so much, they wanted to kill him. They couldn't wait to kill him. Our motivation is the love of Jesus, and it constrains us. Not to hate, not to want to kill somebody, but to love them and to share his love, and to show his love to others, right? That's what God calls us to do, to show his love to others. So we find here that God's power is greater than the opposition. The third thing we find is that the opposition was organized. They came to the Sanhedrin, to the chief priests and the elders, and said, we need your help. We want you to send a message to the Roman commander and that you want to see Paul again. Uh, you, want to, you want to get more information about the case. And as they bring the apostle Paul to you, before he arrives, we'll kill him. He won't make it. We're going to kill him. But we need your help to do that. So we see that, that they were very organized in what they were going to do. The fourth thing we find is the opposition can be overcome. There is no opposition that's greater than the power of God. And we know that, right? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 12 says this. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Then it says this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. So our battle is against people that we can see. It's not against those people that, that disagree with our politics or disagree with us on things. And those people that are so antagonistic to Jesus in the faith, our battle is not against them. They are nothing more of those people that are being used by the schemes of the devil, the schemes of the rulers and authorities of this dark world is what the Bible is saying. So, so those people don't need to be destroyed. What those people need to be, those people need to be won over through the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? As you and I are praying for them and sharing with them and showing them the love of Jesus, that's what we're called to do to those people. Not to say we need to get rid of them. No, 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 that's not the, your enemy. It's the things that we can't see, the evil forces of this world that we can't see. Those people have just been influenced by them. And we need to share the, the truth of Jesus with them. So God is more powerful, isn't he, than them? God can intervene. It's interesting when you think of the spectrum that we have today. On the one side, you have the atheists who say, we don't believe there's a God, therefore we're all alone. And then you have the agnostic who says there might be a God. But if there is a God, you can't know this God. Therefore, he doesn't intervene with his creation in the universe. 
And then you have the deists who said there, there is a God. He's a powerful God. He created the universe, but he wound it up like a clock and set it all in motion. And he's removed from the universe. He doesn't interact with his, his creation. It's almost like a closed box, not open to any supernatural intervention at all. And that's really what Peter was dealing with in 2 Peter chapter 3, as he was saying that Jesus is going to come again. And, and they asked him, how can you say that? If he's going to come again, why hasn't he come? Where is he? Why hasn't he intervened? Why hasn't he interacted with his creation? Why hasn't he said something? Why hasn't he interrupted at any point at any time? Why haven't we seen that is what they ask. What Peter says, oh yeah, he has. In fact, everything that we see, it began with God. And he talks about God's creation. He talks about the flood consummation. And then he talks about that Jesus is going to come again. And the obvious question of asking those and saying those things by Peter, is Jesus going to come again? The obvious question is, oh yeah, if he's going to come again, why hasn't he come? Why is he slow to come? And Peter answers that in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, where it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So, so, so we who believe in God, we believe that God is loving and caring and powerful. Amen? But we also believe that he can interact with his creation at any time, don't, doesn't he? And he does. He interacts with his creation anytime. He can do whatever he wants with that, right? Amen? He can do that. So we pray and we ask God to intervene, to intervene in our circumstance, intervene in other people's circumstances, intervene around the world as we pray. We don't know how he does it. We don't know exactly how our prayers make a difference, but we know they do make a difference, don't they? In John chapter 5, verse 16, it says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It means our prayers accomplish their purpose. So we pray. That's what we do. We pray. And that's what we're called to do. By the way, there are some people that take that to a, even further to the next level. See, when they look, they look at everything as God's intervention. It's, we have to be very cautious of doing that, that everything they see with their eyes, it's God intervening. They try to pull God into everything. So if they drive to, to Costco or to Walmart or Sam's Club and the parking lot is filled and they're driving around looking for that parking spot, and all of a sudden, there's a spot that opens up out of nowhere, right there in front by the door, by the handicapped spot, the closest place to the door, and you look at that, and they assume, boy, God's opened that parking spot for me. And maybe he has. I don't know. I'm not going to argue with that. Maybe God has. But oftentimes, they take it further than that, and they take it then into something that God wants them to do. Like, I think that God, because he opened up that parking spot at Costco, he wants me to sell everything I have and, and buy Costco stock or something like that. You know what I'm saying? There's that same person that's eating their oatmeal in the morning. As they're eating their oatmeal, they look at the oatmeal, and they see the configuration and the brown sugar of Jesus. Or they see the cross. And they say, therefore, because of that, what I'm seeing here, that's a sign that God wants me to be a missionary someplace around the world. You know what I'm saying? We have to be very careful in doing that. And let's be very careful. They don't look for God in everything, in every moment, in every action, in every wind direction. Every time the wind changes, like, that's got to be God. And I've heard people say that. They're out walking in the wind, and the wind's blowing at their back, and all of a sudden it blows this way in their face. And they believe, God wants me to change my direction of my life. He wants me to change my job or leave my spouse and go find somebody else. And God is telling me to do it because the wind changed its direction. And that's how we're guided by God. If you're trying to be guided by that, we're all confused. We're confused. We're guided by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. God shares with us, right, through the truth. So we know what God wants us to do. But we do believe that God is more powerful than the forces of opposition. Amen? We believe that, and we pray, and God works, and God answers our prayers, right? 
Sometimes it's no, sometimes it's maybe, sometimes it's wait, and, but God answers our prayers, and sometimes it's yes. You can't imprison, pe- you can imprison people, but you can't imprison the gospel. Why? Because God is more powerful than the opposition. Nothing can hold God back what he's going to accomplish. God's plan is set in motion, and nothing's going to stop that. And when God told Paul, you're going to make it to Rome, Paul, you're going to Rome. I don't care what they do to you, you're going to make it to Rome. I have a plan. You're going to get there. Believe me, you're going to get there. And Paul's like, how's this going to happen? They're not going to let me get out of here. They're planning to kill me. So let, let me tell you the rest of the story. I'm going to have you read rest of Acts 23 on yourself. I'm going to tell you the story, but let me give you the third point, the third truth, that God's deliverance can come in any form. God's deliverance can come in any form. Am I the only one guilty of telling God how to do things? You, you pray about something, and you tell him the detail, the way he has to accomplish it, right? God, you got to do it this and this and this. God can do whatever he wants, right? What our prayer should be, God, I need you to change their heart. Whatever way you want to do it, do it. We shouldn't be telling God how to do it. God knows what he's going to do, and he knows what he wants to do. See, God brought deliverance, but sometimes God will bring that deliverance by expanding the lunch of a small boy and feeding 5,000, right? And sometimes God will open up the Red Sea. And sometimes he opens up like the Jordan River. And sometimes he'll, have, he'll move a mountain. And sometimes he'll have a, a kind of a well-timed earthquake like he did with Peter in Acts chapter 12. And sometimes it's using people and, and using circumstances. But all nevertheless, it's God that's doing it. We see that God's hand is doing it. What happens in this story is Paul had a nephew. The first time we've ever heard about his nephew. But Paul had a nephew who heard about this plot. He overheard them talking about this plot. So he had a nephew, and so his nephew goes to prison. And he tells Paul about this plot. They're out to kill you. You need to understand this. So Paul called the centurion and told him to take his nephew to the commander so he could tell the commander what was going to happen. This plot was to kill the apostle Paul. Then the commander puts this plan into action. And that night with the urgency that at 9 p.m. they had to make a trip. So he writes this letter to Felix, the governor, who is down in Caesarea, down by the seacoast, about 60 miles away. So he puts these, these guards together so they could sufficiently guard Paul on his way to Caesarea. And there were 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen, 470 men in all were to guard Paul to get down there. You think God, God has put an army to get him down there? God just want to make sure, Paul, you're going to arrive there. Don't worry. 470 men are taken. So to make this trip, they go as far as Antipatris. The first night, they stay there. And then the next day, they, they make the rest of the journey, and they arrive there. And they turn Paul over, the Bible says, to the Calvary. They turn him over, and they get to Felix. And Felix, governor, will now hear Paul's case. And so as those who are accusing him will also be able to present their case. And God delivered Paul through a young man who just happened to be at the right place at the right time to hear a story and then he shared that story, right? That's what happened there. God at times can call out the Calvary. And God at times, sometimes we know from 2 Kings chapter 6 that God has armies of angels to watch out for us, right? And God can use the armies of Romans to deliver. God can choose to use whatever he wants to use, right? And he does it all the time. He does things that you and I think it can be this one way and God chooses to use, just use something else. And many times where, God, I need help financially and God will use somebody. And we're looking for God to give you a promotion at work or more money or whatever it may be. And God uses somebody that helps you, a friend or somebody you don't really know that well and they help you. God can use whatever he wants to use. And sometimes I ask the question, if God can deliver, why doesn't he do it all the time? So we don't have child abuse. We don't have people that are martyred, uh, Christians martyred around the world. Why doesn't he do that? 
one of the reasons we have to understand is the fact that we live in a broken world today. We live in a broken world and all kinds of gonna, things are going to happen that we don't understand. Bad things are going to happen. The perfect world is yet to come. It's not now. It's going to come when Jesus will reign, but it's not now. So if we're thinking, why can't things be all good? It's not going to be in this world, guys. It's never going to arrive there. It's going to be all great all the time. That's heaven. That's to be with Jesus when Jesus will reign. That's the time where that will happen. In this world, we live in a broken world. We're going to have all kinds of things that are going to happen. But God's plan is being carried out. And what we see is God intervenes as he will. And he intervenes sometimes with the shaking of mountains. He intervenes sometimes through, through a boy or a Roman army. And he intervenes sometimes where we look at, wow, just what happened. And on the surface, we look at it, it looks like a series of coincidences that happen in our lives. But when we get beneath the surface, when we get underneath there, we realize it's a mighty, powerful God who loves and cares and working. And we see that. There are times where God delivers by taking a servant home. He takes them home to heaven. And he says, now it's over. But it's not over until God says it's over, right? And even that servant who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior, that servant is just, only thing that dies is his body. The soul and spirit goes on. It's just a transition to be with Jesus forever, right? For us that know Christ, it's just a transition. But it's not over in this life and right here until God says it's over. So what does this mean for us as I'm closing? What does this mean for us? It means if you are a follower of Jesus, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have his promises. And with his promises come hope, assurance, and courage that God gives us each and every day through these promises. As we open up to God's word, there's all kinds of promises that God gives us. We're to hold on to those promises. And they guide us. And they give us hope, encouragement, and, and, and assurance that we have each and every day in our lives. What does it do for us? What does this mean for us? It means if, we're, don't, if we don't know Jesus Christ as our Savior yet, he's patient, not willing for any to perish. But the Bible, we need to understand the clock is ticking. The clock is ticking. And if you don't know Jesus yet, I encourage you to get your questions answered, whatever you have to do, and find out who Jesus is. I'd be glad to talk with you. But get your questions answered. And ask God to open up your heart and your mind to reveal who he is through his word and open up his word. And he will do that. I promise you, he will do that. He wants you to know who he is. And if you're sincere about that, say, I really want to know this Jesus. I want to know about him, what he can do for me. God will open up your heart and mind to the truth about Jesus and ask him to do that. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, please, Understand we're all sinners and we're separated from God and God sent Jesus from heaven to this earth and he died on the cross for our sins so that you and I can have forgiveness of sins and have a relationship with God. The only way we can get to God the Father, have a relationship with him and be right with him is through his son Jesus by putting our faith and trust in Jesus. If you've never done that, please do that today. What does it mean for us? It means if we do know Jesus, if you're here and you say, I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, it's not over until God says it's over. Amen? It's not over until God says it's over. So if you're here today, it means God has something for you. He has something for you to do for him. And I don't know how many times over the years that I've seen people go through surgeries who weren't supposed to make it through those surgeries. And they did. And they come out of those surgeries. One of the things they said, I, I guess God still has something for me to do. They say that. I guess God still has something for me to do. Ding, ding, ding. That's absolutely right. God has something still for you to do. He has. And if you are here today, and if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, God has something for you to do. He does. He has something for you to do. Not just to go through your day. Not just to wait for the next event. Like I'm waiting to get married. Or waiting to go to college. Or waiting for my retirement. 
or any whatever it may be, that you are here on purpose and for a purpose. On purpose to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's what you're here. And for a purpose is now to share the love of Jesus with others, right? To be a mission for Jesus. Remember we said, you look at your watch, are you still doing that? And reminder that it is mission time, right? We're being on mission for Jesus. Every time we look at it, an opportunity to be on mission for Jesus. We're understanding that every day counts in our life. And every day is part of what God wants you to do, wants to do in your life. Working at His will, not only yours and the lives of others, what He wants to do. And that's what this passage means to us. So we trust in a sovereign God who intervenes in our life each and every day to rescue us, to protect us, to deliver us, to share His love with us, so that wherever we go and whoever we're with, that we may magnify the name of Jesus. So we may elevate that name of Jesus each and every day of the life. Doesn't matter what anybody does to us. That's one thing we have control of. That no matter what circumstance comes in my name, wherever I am, whoever I'm with, I can magnify, choose to magnify that name of Jesus and tell others about how great our God is, right? How wonderful and amazing and loving and forgiving and, and Fill of grace and mercy our God is. And how they can come know this amazing, wonderful God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. That's our job. And it's not over for us till God says it's over. And as long as we have breath in our lungs, that's what God has called us to do each and every day. He says, Paul, I'm not done with you yet. You'll know when I'm done with you yet because you're going to be with me. Absent from the body, be present with the Lord. And as long as you're here on this earth, that's our mission. That's what we're called to do. Amen. Let's pray. Sure about that? Okay, let's pray. Lord, we come and we praise you. We thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much, Lord, for your encouragement. We thank you so much for your assurance. We thank you so much for the hope that you give us through the promises of God each and every day that we read the Word of God. That's why it's so important we read the Word of God to give us those promises. Give us assurance and hope and the courage that we need each and every day because, Jesus, you know. You walk this life. You know how hard it is and how difficult. The opposition bombards us with all kinds of things. The temptations are out there. It's all around us, Lord, to get our minds off of you and on all kinds of things. And so, Lord, open our eyes to your promises so we may have the courage and the hope and the assurance that we need in our lives, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us to walk the life you called us. Help us to be on mission for you, Lord. Help us to realize, Lord, that we're here on this earth till you call us home. Nothing's going to stop your plan in our lives. And we're not to worry when that time comes. You know when it's coming, and that's all that matters. But as long as we're here, we're to live for you, Jesus. We're beyond mission for you because you've got something for us. Each and every one of us that are here today, every person that's listening online, God has something for us. And Lord, our, our heart and minds is drawn closer to you. It's not to build our kingdom. It's not to build our fortress. But it's to build your kingdom. It's to be about your will and, and accomplish your will in our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that each one of us, Lord, no matter where we are in our lives today, Lord, we said, man, I haven't been living that way. I've been living my life for myself, what I can gain. Today can be the day where we say, God, I'm going to stop that. I'm going to live for you. And, Lord, we live our lives trusting you every step of the way, realizing you're stronger than the opposition, and to rely, to rely on the promises of God, that you will promise to give us courage, hope, and assurance every day of our lives. And, Lord, that we realize that, Lord, that you can intervene and work on our lives when, and do the impossible, that we trust you each and every day. That, Lord, we don't have to scheme in our own ways to make things happen, but we can trust you. 
We don't have to compromise our lives and, and get into sin, but we can trust you each and every day that you're going to work your plan out for us. And if I have to do something that's not right to work out that plan, it's not the plan of God. That I need to be faithful to you in all areas of my life and realize, God, you've got a plan. And if I trust you, you're going to work out that plan. And that's what trust is, trusting God, not trying to do it in my own will, not trying to make it happen, but allow God to work in it each and every one of our lives. And your promises give us that trust, give us that assurance, give us that hope, give us that, give us that courage that we need each and every day. And I pray that for each one of us, because Lord, we need your courage. We need your hope. We need your assurance. So that I pray in the quietness of our heart, you're speaking to us through the power of the Holy Spirit that we open up the Word of God and give you the opportunity to talk to us directly from your truth. That, Lord, this is a truth that we're willing to stand for, that we would not back down if we know to understand the truth. Guide us, Lord, and lead us. Help us to be people who love you. Help us to be people ready to be on mission, to share with others how great is our God and how they can come to know him through his son, Jesus. What an amazing message. What an amazing mission. The greatest mission ever to be given to people is that mission to share the truth, to share about Jesus. And I pray that each one of us, Lord, will understand the mission, what you call this, not too complicated to understand, that we would just be obedient to you. We don't save people. All we're doing is to share the love and show the love of Jesus, and you do the rest. Lord, we praise you and thank you that, Lord, you've made our, our mission very easy, the message easy as we're talking about next week that we'll understand it, Lord, so we can live the life you've called us to live. Lord, we love you and praise you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.